Are you a sexy, indulgent musician suffering from consistent long hours, crippling self-doubt, and constant disappointment? Well, do we have a show for you. Welcome to Sex, Drugs, and Disappointment, a bi-weekly deep dive into what it takes to be a healthy and successful musician in the modern industry. My name is Melody Kaiser. And I'm Dustin Williams. And we are both full-time musicians and creative entrepreneurs. And today we are discussing our thoughts on the importance of tone and what actually matters regarding tone on guitars and basses. Bo show. Yeah, this is a, <laughs> this is a lengthy topic and it's one of large debate yeah, I was just on gonna the say, interwebs. Yeah, yeah. yeah, a lot of differing <laughs> opinions on this for sure. So I guess first we need to kind of define like what is what is tone? What are we talking about? Because mm-hmm. I think people hear it a lot, but it's one of those concepts that's kind of hard to define. Yeah. What agreed. exactly you mean? I think to me, it kind of means like how you deliver the music. Mm-hmm. It's almost like, you know, um, it's it goes beyond just how it sounds. Um, it can be... Um, So I guess what I'm trying to think, like the Mm -hmm. example I would give is the pitch can be the same, but the tone can be completely different. Right. And in certain cases that can be, um, you know, in certain genres and stuff, it works better than others. Mm -hmm. So like, I always think of like, um, I forget her name. What is it? Fran Drescher or whatever, like the way that she speaks. Right. Cause you can sing like, ah, or you Mm -hmm. can sing, ah. (laughs) <laughs> and it's the same to- it's the same pitch yeah, but yeah totally yeah, yeah. different tone very much so, so yeah, yeah. like that's kind of what i think of when i think of tone it's yeah. more so just like how are you playing the music right uh what would you kind of what's your definition like when you're talking to somebody about tone um i mean pr- pretty much the same i agree it is it is kind of like you know how the music is delivered uh i always kind of think about it as like the vibe um, the feeling that you're trying to, um, to come across uh, or trying to, uh, communicate. And obviously like so many factors can affect the feeling like the chord choice and the melody and the rhythm and all that stuff. But I think with tone, um, it's, it's important because it kind of sets the stage for what to expect. Right. So like, you know, um, like even if you play the same riff, in a metal band versus, you know, just a classic rock band versus, I don't know, funk or something like say it's very simple pentatonic riff. Uh, the tone can have a massive effect on that, you know, cause like with metal, you're, you're probably going to be expecting a little more distortion and, um, you know, maybe a slightly darker sound to that funk is going to be nice and bright and, and maybe syncopated in a slightly different way or something, but still like the tone itself is going to make a big difference. And, um, you know, it's, it's really, really important because, uh, how the song comes together as a group, you know, if you're talking a four or five piece band, um, if you have the wrong tone, it's going to stick out very obviously. And it's not going to make everything feel cohesive and it's tricky or, 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 you know, it's complicated because, uh, sometimes the right tone may be the tone that sounds like shit when you're by yourself. right? Right. But then when you get it into the mix with the band, uh, it has a completely different context. You know, it's like the tone of voice, like you were kind of saying earlier about like, you know, how you communicate something like 
uh, if you're talking to somebody and how how your uh, how intense your uh, pronunciation is or how you um, how gentle you're gonna be and and you know I mean so much of that you know really communicates um, the feeling of of the person trying to to speak I guess right yeah I would say you know we have said several times in previous episodes. Um, and if you're just joining us, we are in season two now, yeah. so go check everything else out. But, um, you know, we've kind of compared music to a conversation. Yeah. And so tone is kind of like the way that your voice sounds in that conversation. Yes. Which can make a huge impact on even in day-to-day conversation. I yeah. mean, if you approach it with a harsh brush, like the way that you say stuff can make a huge impact on how people feel about it right you know what i mean it's not so much what you say it's how you say it Mm -hmm. and so that's kind of where tone comes in in music so i think it's like so important yes i mean just like what we were saying you know um how you say something is so important it's the difference between like hey uh can you wash the dishes versus hey can you wash the dishes right right like (laughs) totally different things same words and you know depending on the song and the style you could want that exactly you know you could want to be pissed off sounding or you could want to be calm and happy Mm -hmm. um and so it's kind of the same thing yep um and you know it's kind of like too if you listen um you were speaking earlier about like um, people giving speeches, mm-hmm. right? And yep. inflection, yes. vocal inflection yeah. being a huge part of delivery. And I think it that is included in musical tone as well. Yep. Um, how you inflect certain notes, um, how you accent certain things. Yep. Um, but it also includes, um, you know, EQ and yep. uh, like you were saying, distortion mm-hmm. and it can include effects yep. and all of those things. So tone is kind of a very general word. Yeah, for sure. Um, but um, I think we've, you know, kind of defined it for, for everybody as far as what we're defining as tone. Yeah, right, right. Because <laughs> um, some people may have some different uh, approaches to the topic. Um, so I guess first, uh, we were speaking earlier, I guess the, the the most important part of tone, and you know, you hear this all the time in music is, it's the player, it's the right. hands, yeah. it's the fingers, it's the, you know, it's not the um, the instrument or anything about, you know, the gear. Yeah. Um, and I think that that is in large part very true. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, you know, how, how you attack. So specifically, I guess we're, we're kind of speaking mostly on stringed instruments, um, but this can apply to other things, you know, piano or or drums drums are a little bit more self-explanatory because it's like a lot of it's like the tuning and where you hit the drum and how you hit the drum but with strings you know it's kind of that category of like okay do i use a pick do i play with my fingers do i tilt my hand a certain number of degrees to get a rounder sound do i play closer to the neck which is going to give you a fatter deeper sound versus at the bridge which is going to give you a very uh tight and um Almost, almost more nasally sound, right? right. right? And and we're not even talking about pickups yet, but, um, you know, so so how you touch the instrument definitely has a huge effect. And, um, you know, if you're playing something really soft, uh, you don't want to be, you know, slamming the strings. Obviously, you right? Know? Um, Attack smooth versus, um, well, I guess not smooth. <laughs> I don't know the, <laughs> yeah. the word I'm looking for there, but right. um, yeah, I mean, and I'm just thinking. 
um, too, if you wanted to compare it, because the easy, obvious one thing to compare it to is the human voice. Right. Like mm-hmm. singing's the easy version of tone because everybody's voice sounds different and Mm -hmm. it's something that a lot of people can't just change so much right right. um you can change it a good bit yeah and and great singers great singers can really like weave in and out of different tones and right and i mean obviously vocal impersonators that's a great example of people who can you know hear a tone and match it yeah absolutely Um, but i think that the same kind of concepts do apply to pretty much any instrument. Agreed. Yeah. Um, and the example that I just thought of with technique is um, tribute bands, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. They're everywhere now. Right. Such a big thing. Um, and really, I don't know if I want to say good because I've seen some good tribute bands that weren't super heavily budgeted, but tribute bands that have uh, a commitment to exactly replicating, yeah. you know, they'll get all the same gear. You know, like uh, the guitar and the pickups and the amps and the whatever else they can possibly find. Some of them even dress similar, Um, you know, um, but I've noticed that a lot of times they don't sound quite right. Yeah. And I think a big part of that is just the playing itself. Yeah. Um, uh, one example I thought of just because his tone is so unique on guitar, mm-hmm. um, Stevie Ray Vaughan. Right. Right. You don't see a whole lot of Stevie Ray Vaughan tribute bands. Yeah. 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 And, um, there's probably several reasons to that, but, um, I would think one of the main two would be, he's a really hard technique to replicate exactly Yeah. because it wasn't refined so much. Mm-hmm. It was kind of just, you know blues guitar yeah Uh, he was just kind of his own person um but when i have seen stevie rayvon tribute acts online uh a lot of them don't sound just like him because their technique isn't they're not going for an exact replica i guess or if they are they're kind of it's hard to do it's just really hard to do yeah um but there is one person online that i've seen that really really captured um kind of the essence of it. And I honestly don't think it was the amps and the guitar so much as it was. He just like was doing, you could tell he just studied it and yeah. like was doing exactly as close as he could what the original performance was like. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I mean that to me kind of sums up the whole technique thing because that's giving like, you know, trying to compare apples to apples. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, um and, and on, on that note of technique, like um, I know recently and I mentioned these guys all the time, but the SBL podcast um, did uh, an episode recently about the importance of technique and um, how it uh, it really affects everything. Right. Because it's not just your tone, even though we're, this episode is focused on tone, but it also like technique can affect your timing, um, your groove. It can affect um, your phrasing. Um your ability to execute uh, an idea, you know, a riff yeah. or, or a, a progression or something. Um, technique is, is so, so important. And, you know, there are other people out there that may disagree. And, uh, you know, I've, I've even heard Victor Wooten say that, like, technique is really not, like, the most important thing. Um, and I think if, if I'm interpreting it correctly, kind of what he means is that, like, there's a lot of ways to do the same thing. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they're all going to sound the same, right? 
Like, well, yeah, I think he was coming more from like the philosophical. Side sure, exactly. That's what I mean. Right, right, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, like, uh, you know, if if you can effectively execute the idea, then your technique is working. You know, um, but there's a lot to say about that. Where like, yeah, it may be working, but what's the longevity? Like, how long can you do this before you've destroyed your right. tendons or something? You know, because you're doing it this way. Um, but anyway, so th I think the technique, yeah, the touch, all that stuff is, is kind of, you know, to sum it up, um, is probably one of the most important things. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, and then, I think like next, you know, if we were to kind of like move into the next, uh, idea of what, uh, kind of has a big impact on tone. Um, and again, this is speaking more so from, from a string perspective. Um, and it is the strings, right? Uh, especially for bass. Um, just the, the two like standout, uh, options that most people think about are flat wounds versus round wounds. Um, and for those who don't know, basically, um, flat wound strings, uh, feel smooth, right? They're kind of like, if you've ever touched a violin or an upright bass or anything like that, they have this very smooth feel to them. There's no ridges in the strings. Um, how do they get them flat? Do you know, is it sanded? No, I don't think it's sanded. I think, uh, it's, it's the way... And I, I, you know, I'll be the first to admit, I don't know a lot about like string production, but mm -hmm. I, don't I think it's the material they use and how, how they wind it around the core, um, versus gotcha. like, you know, like a round wound string. So the opposite of that, which is got more ridge, they tend to be a lot brighter too. Like flat wounds are a little duller. They have a lot more tension though, mm -hmm. um, versus round wounds because they're, they're, they're round and, you know, and, and, and the thinner wire is kind of wrapped around that that creates these little ridges there's a little bit more flexibility in them um i would almost maybe compare it like like a steel cable versus like um like one just thick wire or something um where there's just more flexing in in that uh um type of wind that they do that that uh makes it less you know less tense i guess yeah um that makes sense and, uh, yeah, so round wounds are a little brighter. Um, a good example of like the tone comparisons. So like flat wound bass strings, um, were really popular in like the, I mean, they're still popular now, especially now they're kind of making a resurgence, but, um, they were kind of the only option up until like the seventies, I want to say, mm. um, I could be wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure it was like the seventies where you started getting more round wound options. But, um, so the bass tones that you would hear in like sixties Motown, um, James Jamerson, um, you know, uh, um, what's his name? Bob Babbitt, um, even Carol Kay, you know, with the wrecking crew, like a lot, a much more. So she subdued. used a pick on, she used a pick exactly wounds? on flat wounds. Yeah. Interesting. Um, right. Right. So it's got that plunky mm -hmm. kind of like, that actually makes it. a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and then, you know, round wounds would be something more like, uh, like modern, like a uh, slap bass stuff, like Marcus Miller, like if you, if you know him, um, he's got a very bright and kind of, you know, obviously he's slapping too. So there's more percussiveness in, in the, um, tone, but, uh, it's just more aggressive. Uh, it can be dulled. I mean, you can dial back the tone knob on the instrument. We can talk about that in a minute, but, um, it's definitely, it's, it's a vibe for sure. And you, you know, if you're going to do like, if you're going to play for a band or you're going to do session work or something as a bass player, um, it's really important to kind of know which is the right choice there because if regardless of your pickups, regardless of your amp, um, and, you know, even regardless of the technique, although the technique, again, is super important, 
um, there is a decidable difference between those two tones. Um, and so it really just kind of depends on, on the band. Um, I think for me, the way I think about it is like, depending on maybe the, the overall like genre or vibe that the band is going for, um, will have an impact on my choice. And then like what's happening with the other instruments, like if the guitars are really bright and there's a lot of them, I will tend to lean more towards flats because you want that balance, you know? Mm. So like with Gamma Star where everyone's, you know, even though uh, Dylan, I think actually uses flat wound strings on, on at least one of his guitars, um, it's still a pretty bright tone and you can get bright tone with flats, but it just takes a different EQ and all that. Uh, but I use the flat wound uh, strings on a Mustang for that because it just fits the soundscape of what we're going for. Um, but then with like with Hey Dreamer, I use round wound strings um, because overall our sound is a little bit more like punchy, uh, punchy right? Exactly. Um, and you have a bright tone, but it's not like because you tend to use humbuckers uh, mm -hmm. most of the time, you're, you have a slightly darker, like thicker sound to your guitar tone, right. which works really well for a three piece. Um, but because of that, I tend to, to go towards the, the round wounds because I think it just fits what we're trying to do a little bit right. better. Um, but it really kind of is a case by case situation. You really have to like listen to the music and be with the music and understand what the the energy is behind that. But anyway, so that's from kind of from the from the bass side of things. What about for the guitar? Um, well, I mean, there are flat wound strings for guitar. I've only mm -hmm. used them uh, for one song that I've ever recorded because um, it's not usually so much my thing. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But I will say in like jazz music it's used a lot more. Right. Um, I've just never recorded a lot of jazz. Um, they're usually a good bit thicker yeah. as well. They mm -hmm. start, I think, at 11s. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, that's, you know, for rock music, that's a heavy place to start yeah. for a lot of people, for yeah. me. Um, so I haven't used uh, flat wounds as much on guitar usually stick to round wounds. I was going to say that wrong. <laughs> wow, wow. Round wounds. <laughs> so, um, but um, I think if for guitar, size can make a huge tone I was going to say the gauge, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, string gauge makes a really big difference. Um, and I think it's more so the way that it makes the player have to play yeah, than totally. it is the strings themselves. Mm -hmm. I think that... I mean, you can hear a difference um, more so on an acoustic guitar. So let's mm -hmm. go to that world for a second. Because okay. on an electric, you, distortion and effects and stuff, you, it, gets a little, it. it gets a little hairy trying to really hear the difference. Yeah. But on an acoustic, I use really thick strings. Mm -hmm. uh, it's the heaviest that I can get at most stores. It's 13 through 56. Okay. Um, Damn, that is pretty thick. Yeah. So, but you don't really bend on acoustic, so it's not right. as much of a problem, which is really on electric where it becomes more of a problem. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because I have played electric strings that have had a wound third, which mm -hmm. is like acoustic and didn't, yeah, it wasn't great. Well, it's like, I mean, back to Stevie Ray Vaughan, like he was known for using really thick gauge strings, right? Right. But you can tell almost because of the fact that he's like, really slamming the guitar yeah and, like, and you lose a lot of um yeah you you lose you gain some things you gain a little bit more of you can be a little bit harder hitting with it mm -hmm. uh, which is why a lot of metal guys use thicker strings well and they do and the lone but, low tunings yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. um but you can be a lot more heavy-handed with it um 
But at the same time, it's really hard to get, um, in my experience, somebody may be able to do it, but, uh, like alternate picking Mm -hmm. really quickly is really hard. The bigger the strings get really okay i think Mm -hmm. i mean that's just me maybe that's just my playing but Mm -hmm. like if i get on a really light set of strings like nines Mm -hmm. you can really go to town yeah like the 80s style alternate picking shred stuff yeah um kind of like the steve lukather eric johnson world Mm -hmm. um and then the heavier you get it's a little harder to do that yeah yeah makes Um, sense so uh, but on an acoustic, you can hear bigger strings do resonate a lot um, mm. better. Yeah, they just—it's just thicker sounding. Um, it literally physical, makes the like, sound yeah. thicker. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is interesting, but I mean, it makes sense. It does. But, um, so yeah, that's why I usually use that on um, acoustic. And I will say, uh, a lot of people disagree with that mm. because they think that. Um, like 13s, anything with a 13 is going to like mess up your neck on an acoustic. Mm. And, you know, I don't really know where I stand on that because I think it depends on how well made the acoustic is. Yeah. Um, and then also if you set your guitar up for that, it's usually going to kind of stay there. Yeah. It's not like it's, you know, I think where it would really become a problem is if you jump a lot. Right. You know, like right. we go from super duper light strings on acoustics now. I've seen them down to 10 mm-hmm. on acoustic, which is very light. Yeah, for an acoustic. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And then all the way up to 13s, which is what used to be standard. Now, I think standard, most people use 12s. But Oh, really? Okay. I think so. Okay. I mean, that's kind of where I've seen the, I think 12s, most brands call them light. Or like medium light or something, but I think that's where most people kind of stay. And it's interesting because like on electric, like twelves would be considered starting to really kind of head into the heavy zone. That's super right? heavy. Yeah, like nines, like tens are tend I would to be say average. Elevens are going into the heavy zone. Really? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. But I'm also coming from like a blues guitar background or like yeah. rock blues guitar background. So like somebody that's in metal would be like. 12s or nothing, you know, (laughs) but I'm just saying like for the style of music that I play, that's really heavy. Mm -hmm. It would be very challenging to like bend because you have to think like, like I said, genre does matter because coming from a blues background, I mean, you're doing sometimes over whole step bends. Mm -hmm. That's going to be really challenging to do on 12s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think getting a whole step would be enough of a challenge going beyond that would you know, you're really pushing yourself. Yeah. Mm. And I mean, I don't know, but then there's the opposite side of it. Like I know Billy Gibbons from ZZ Top, his signature strings were sevens. Sevens. <laughs> yeah. What? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Which is a little, that's way too light for me. Um, because I'm just too heavy handed for that. So is he a really light player? I guess so. You'd have to be. Yeah. Cause you'd be bending every note out of tune. That's my thing is the tuning. It's not even that I would break them yeah. so much. It would just sound like car. <laughs> cause I, cause I actually, I used to play nines and, uh, when I was playing live, cause I could play faster on nines. Mm. But then when I actually went in to record my first album, I was, the engineer was like, man, you're like knocking a lot of these notes out of tune. And I was like, what? 
Yeah. No way. <laughs> so that was when I kind of decided I didn't want to change the way that I play. Mm-hmm. I was just going to change the guitar to fit that. Right. And I think a lot of people, like when they've been playing for a while, they realize that's kind of the way to go. Right. Well, yeah, because that's the way that I learned. So yeah. it would be hard to just like completely go backwards right. and yeah. have to, you know, relearn all your technique. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, whether it was good technique or bad, because mm-hmm. I definitely learned some bad technique because I was self-taught. Um, still have some bad technique. For sure. But it's just at this point, like it works for me, kind of going to the Victor Wooten thing. Yeah. Like yeah, it yeah, works yeah. for me. And like, I feel like it would be just kind of a back step to try to undo a lot of what I've learned, you know, cause yeah. it's just, it, it's almost like part of my style now, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no, it's, it's interesting that you say that though. Cause like for me recently, um, I, I have actually been over the past several years, um, like almost obsessively trying to, um, reconfigure my technique. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually recently just invested in, um, uh, speaking of SBL again, the technique accelerator course that they have, um, which is basically, uh, you know, like a technique class. And every week there's like uh, every day for 20 minutes, you're supposed to do like this specific exercise. And, um, and it's because like, I, you know, I've been playing so long now and, and now I'm like doing, you know, sometimes I'll be doing these three to four hour gigs and I'm noticing, you know, how I'm getting tired more easily or um, I'm running out of steam on like certain uh, types of playing. Um, And, you know, it's kind of get me like, oh shit, like this isn't good, you know, like I need to be able to keep playing, you know, it's it's not only because it's my living. Yeah, but what kind of gigs are those? Because I've never seen you really get tired. Are we talking you, like well, super speedy jazz you, gigs no, or something? You think you think I'm not getting tired, <laughs> but I am. Yeah. I mean, even on our gigs, sometimes we'll have like you know certain parts where we're doing like riffs, like like on um, immigrant song, you mm-hmm. know, like just on the main riff, doing do do good, doing do good, like yeah. after doing that for a while, like I'm really starting to feel it in my left uh, forearm. I mean, and that my... makes sense because I even bass is just a way harder animal to like, I think coming from guitar, Mm -hmm. like bass wears me out and I'm not even a good bass player. I'm just talking just like the stretching, the size of the strings, how much strength it actually takes. Well, and and that's it. Like, I mean, again, you know, it's so many factors. Like if, if you're having a hard time pressing down a string on the bass, like you just need a setup, like really, because it shouldn't be that hard. Um, I don't think I meant necessarily like, that kind I just mean mm. like the strength of having to keep that position mm. and the stretch. Right. You know what I mean? Like octaves on a bass are way further apart than octaves on a guitar. Yeah, but I Distance mean wise. I, I, I get what you're saying. I, <laughs> yeah. I, but I think like, you know, especially taking this this technique accelerator course and then just watching so many other people like on, you know, YouTube or whatever talk about technique approaches. Like there's a lot of things that I just have been doing for so long. Like for example, one of the main things they were talking about was like how you are angling your bass when you're playing. And, you know, I think a lot of people tend to keep it like mostly like parallel to their body. I can't do that. Which is not good. Yeah. Oh, I mean, good. like, yeah, you're supposed to have like a 45 degree angle. Nice. Like, okay, good. It, you should angle the bass. Your body should be still forward, but the instrument should be at like 45 degrees. And then you're forward. Correct. 45 degrees forward. Yeah. yeah. And then it should not be like parallel to the ground. It should be also like angled upwards. Yeah. 
and then um, like your your plucking arm or hand shoulder. So in my case, my right shoulder doesn't pull back really far, but it should pull back just a little bit. Like it, the the shoulder should kind of angle to meet the base, but not your whole like torso. Um, so it's small stuff like that. Like when you're sitting and practicing, like they a lot of people suggest, you know, having your um, your right leg if you're a right-handed player, like classical guitar, almost stuff. classical guitar, like not quite, but because you're not putting it on your on your left leg and doing it this way. But although some people do, but it's like you should kind of have this leg raised slightly higher than the other right. one, so that the base is again more easy to navigate. I mean, yeah. And, and I kind of take back what I was going to say when I think what I meant when I was saying like, at this point, I'm not going to change stuff about my technique. I only mean in like certain regards because sitting down with other people, like I think in one of the past episodes, very recently we talked about it. Like when I sat in the floor of my house with Christy Mm Linnae and we were doing finger style stuff. Mm -hmm. I realized how bad my finger picking technique actually is. Yeah. Like I've gotten away with it. Mm-hmm. And yes, it's very different uh, because she is classically trained. And she's like, yeah, yeah. And I'm just like a folk, like whatever guitar player on acoustic. Mm. But having the wrist down, I was having to use my thumb so much more than she was. Like her thumb was just like, he, 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 he. Oh, and mine yeah. was like, ah. Like uh-huh, I was trying uh-huh. to go to town Because you're not it. doing the out wrist thing. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so like that was something I was like, ah, I see now how she's getting that. Mm-hmm. Like I see how she's doing that now. So yes, like I would definitely have to to change a lot of my technique to do different styles and mm-hmm. stuff. I guess what I meant more is just like in like what I've got going right now, it would it just makes sense for me to just change the gear to fit what I'm doing. Right. And, and I can just improve over time. Obviously I'm going to do that until the day I die. Right. But right. Yeah, <laughs> totally. In the meantime. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and I think it's worth noting that like, you know, your, your musical style and your guitar playing style is obviously, again, as you've said, more rooted in rock and blues and you can't, I mean, you can, but like not as effectively play that style with the classical position because muting becomes so much more of a factor when you're dealing with like amps and overdrive and distortion and all oh, this other sure. stuff, right? Where, and like, that's where I learned. Exactly. I started on electric. Exactly. So palm muting just feels normal to me. Right. So my wrist is usually always down. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, like for what I do, that's kind of what I meant. Like for what I, how I make my living, yep. Yep. it makes more sense for me to just keep doing that. Yeah. <laughs> and, and as I'm like re-exploring some of my technique, like I'm, I don't want to, completely get rid of some of the old stuff, especially with my right hand stuff. Cause I like, I, I do a lot of like digging in like Getty Lee style when we're really rocking out and I don't want to lose that. Like, yeah, even that's though, awesome. Like, People it, love that. Yeah. And, and like, <laughs> it doesn't always work for everything. So, you know, I have to pick and choose when I do it, but when I do it, I want it to, I want to be able to do it. So like, you know, even if it's not technically correct, um, and there is, um, you know, maybe a more correct or better way to do it. Um, you know, I don't want to let completely ignore that side of my playing. So I think, as you said, it's kind of just like really expanding right. what you're already doing and and trying to make what you're doing work, but also reevaluate some things that aren't working and, you know, apply new approaches to that. Yeah. So I get that um, for sure. Um, well, this one is this next thing, which mm-hmm. I pickups yeah. on oh, yeah. guitars and basses. That's kind of a, yeah, you know, strong topic of <laughs> debate. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's the word I was looking for. Yeah. 
Yeah, because, um, you know, I follow on YouTube um, Spectra Sound Studios. Mm -hmm. Do you know Glenn yeah, uh, Fricker? Long-haired yes. guy, yeah, Canadian, yeah. angry. Yeah, yeah a, bit, a bit of a boomer sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He makes me laugh. Is And he honestly has a lot of good tips for home recording. No, he does. He um, does. I really enjoy his channel, if he ever listens to this. But one thing I definitely disagree with him on is he, in a lot of his videos, says that pickups do not matter. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. And I'm like, oh, well, that's bullshit because <laughs> they do matter. And um, now just to double check, is this like contextually contextually like uh, Seymour Duncan humbuckers versus Gibson humbuckers doesn't matter? Or is it like humbuckers versus single? No, I think it's more like the brand. Oh, the brand. Yeah, okay, I think okay. that's kind of mm, what he was yeah, going for. I disagree. Yeah, because <laughs> he was important. going, um, because his channel is like mostly metal. Mm -hmm. It's like a lot of metal is kind of the focus. Yes. Okay. Um. So, you know, and he does a lot of like user comments. So somebody will comment and be like, should I upgrade my speakers in my amp cab mm -hmm. or should I change the pickups? And yeah. he always says, change the speakers. Because he's like, the pickups aren't going to matter. Interesting. Which I find very interesting. Yeah. But I personally disagree with that because pickups make a huge difference. Um, I've changed them out of a lot of guitars. Right. And they definitely have a big impact on kind of, in my opinion, the objective tone. Yeah. Like, for no sure. matter who's playing it, it sounds different. Yeah. Um, Personally, for me, the guitar that I've experimented with pickups the most on is my Mexican Strat, mm -hmm. uh, which was the second guitar I ever had. Um, and I've done a lot of like modification to it, but it came with, I'm trying to remember which generation it was. I guess it doesn't matter. The noiseless pickups. Oh, but it was the yep. gener. It was whichever generation people really like. It's not the new generation. It was like. Because I got the guitar in 2007. I was going to say, so it was probably a early 2000s or 90s yeah. even, yeah. right? Was it used or new? No, it was brand new. It was okay, 2007. So, yeah, yeah, that yeah. was the year. So um, whatever generation of noiseless pickups they put in Mexican Strats. It was like the, I have the same. Strat Deluxe. Yeah. That was the, it had the little button. Oh, see, I, I don't have that. that yeah, I don't okay. have that. Yeah. It was the Deluxe. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, but I really like those pickups. I always like them. But when I started wanting to mod a guitar, it was the guitar I chose because mm -hmm. it had the most modification friendly. If, if you're going to mod an instrument, <laughs> fenders are probably one of the easiest yeah, ones to do. Yeah. For sure. They were designed to be almost modular, really. Right. And so a friend of mine... Um, because I was working at, as a guitar tech at the time, had these Lawler pickups mm. that he hated. Mm -hmm. And so he was just like, I can't return them. Do you want them? And I was like, yes. So I didn't even buy them. Got them for wow, free. Wow, nice. Hell yeah. And uh, put them in the Strat. They're still in the Strat, mm -hmm. mostly because I haven't wanted to change them out again. <laughs> but um, very, very different sound. Yeah. Because uh, the noiseless pickups are Technically, if I remember this correctly, not single coil pickups. That's they why oh, they're noiseless. Okay. They don't have 60 cycle hum. Right. Because they're not actually single coils. Okay. These are like straight up single coils. Okay. So the difference in tone coming from the noiseless is they're so much thinner mm. and so much brighter. Yeah. And they do hum, which yeah. the hum doesn't really bother me so much, but I don't know how I feel about the thin, bright sound. 
It's very country. <laughs> it's a lot. Yeah. yeah. I think for, and it's maybe could be funk too, yeah. I guess, yeah, depending yeah, yeah. on what song. Because when I think of funk, I think of like throaty sounds. This isn't okay. that so much. Mm-hmm. This is just like. Nasally. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't know how I feel about them, but I will say didn't change a damn thing about the guitar except for the pickups. And it sounds 100% completely different mm-hmm, I so bet. pickups do make a difference yeah 100 percent um what do you think for bass because we were talking about p versus jazz oh and yeah those i think objectively sound different yes they do um and i think i think most people would agree again maybe you know some out there are gonna be like no it's the same thing like so basically um you know, P-bass pickups are a split coil, single coil pickup. Uh, a lot of people think it's actually two pickups, but it's really just one that's split in half um, and then arranged in the bass for a particular reason. Uh, and then jazz basses are the two, you know, long, thin boys, um, and you get one in the neck, one in the bridge. Um, so the debate is that you can make a jazz bass sound like a P-bass by rolling off of the bridge pickup and... I think you can get really close. I think if you had to choose one of the two basses, if I if I had to play only one bass for the rest of my life, it'd be a jazz bass for sure because they really? are yeah for sure. That's for sure. so. In- why? Um, they're really versatile. Um, they can kind of just like fit stylistically. Cause they still have that Fender thing, so they sound great in a mix. Um, if you want to, you know, do more slappy mid scooped sounds, then you turn on you roll on both pickups full. Um, if you want more of a P bass sound, then come off the bridge. And if you want more of that Jocko, you know, kind of plucky, bright nasally thing, then you roll off the neck and turn up the bridge. Um, and, uh, they're, again, they're just like, they kind of fit with whatever you need them to do. Um, the necks are a little bit, uh, rounder, um, Hmm. and, and, and tapered more down, uh, near the bottom. So like for people who want to play faster stuff, it's a little bit easier to do that. Um, but you can also play, you know, slow kind of sauntery stuff on a jazz bass and it sounds great. Um, but that said, I mean, I have two P basses and two, three jazz basses. So like, you know, and each one is a little different. Like, you know, one of my P basses is just a classic split coil. That's it. And it's got flats. The, the other one, which I use with Hey Dreamer a lot, is um, a PJ style. So it does have a jazz pickup. A lot of people say, oh, that's the way to go because you get the best of both worlds. But to me, like, there is definitely, um, like, PJs are a little growlier than a jazz bass. Um, so they, they don't, um, they can pop out of the mix a little bit more, which is, you know, some for some people, maybe great. Um, for me, it, it's like, I, I, if I want to pop out of the mix, I can pop out of the mix, but otherwise like I want it to be able to, to sink in if I need it to. Um, in my experience, PJ basses have a lot of wiring. Do they? Problems too. Do they? Yeah. I've, I don't know. My, mine's been great since I've had it. Um, I'm trying to but, remember exactly what the cause was and I can't for some reason, but, uh, in my experience with PJ basses, if you turn both pickups, um, all the way up it's mm-hmm. quieter than if you roll them back a little bit yes yeah yeah okay so and that's actually kind of the thing with jazz basses too oh okay um and the so what i've understood again i'm no luthier i'm, I'm no expert on this yeah, but see i don't I've, even remember so tell okay. me okay so well just from what i've understood from this it's because really it's because like when you dial them both all the way up you're essentially scooping out some mid-range so it's it's a perceived loudness it's not 
really a true like loudness difference, mm -hmm. but you're just losing some of like the, 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 I guess it's the upper mids and maybe some low mids too. Um, so it just tends to feel and sound quieter because it sinks down mm. into the mix a little bit more. Um, when you solo out a, a, a neck pickup, or even if you just roll off a little bit of the bridge pickup um, and the neck becomes a little more dominant in the sound, you're getting a lot more of that like honk, that P bass honk, which is a lot of upper mids. Um, so it tends to really kind of slam you. And right. then if you go the opposite direction, you roll off the neck, then like you're going to lose a lot of low end, but you're going to gain this very, um, again, kind of the Jocko thing, very tight and nasally. So it, it like shoots out in the mix. Like it's very, very, right. um, apparent. Um, so I think that's kind of why that is the case again. I mean, I could be wrong. So, you know, I mean, I, just, I <laughs> that sounds good to me. I, um, I couldn't remember why, but I didn't work on them that much. Yeah. I mean, so, so, you know, I mean, th that's kind of the big, you know, the P, P jazz, which one's better. That's the thing. And then of course there's all, you know, tons of other bases out there and like, you know, humbuckers versus single coils, like eh, almost every bass that I own looking around and almost every single one is, um, single coil. The only humbucker bass that I own, like right now, um, there's this Epiphone Thunderbird that's here, but I'm just like, I was getting it set up for, um, for a friend and then it's going to be sold. Um, but, uh, the Mikey way, uh, uh, Mustang that I have the silver sparkle one that has a, a Seymour Duncan humbucker, which I put in cause it originally just had the stock humbucker. Mm -hmm. Um, but everything else that I have, yeah, it's pretty much all single coil. Um, and I don't really know why I think maybe I just kind of naturally tend to lean in that zone. Um, for a while I had, for a long time, I played a six string specter and that was soap bar humbuckers. Um, nice. And it sounded great, but I don't know. There's something about humbuckers that maybe, maybe it's a little bit because like humbucker tone tends to be a little darker. Um, and I kind of usually lean towards a slightly brighter tone, not like overly bright, or at least I try no, not to I be. I used to be way too bright in, in my tone because I, I, I don't know, I was just trying to stand out in that way. And I'm glad that I got past that because uh, <laughs> it can... It, uh, probably more often than not is is the incorrect tone for the setting. You know? What is the fieldy? Oh God, don't even get me started. Yeah, um, and a lot of people love him. So like, you know, I'm not going to shade on him or Let's anything. Let's talk about um, bass tones that we hate. Yeah, well, that would be one of them personally. <laughs> Just saying. Uh, well, yeah, it's not great. I but, mean, but it, it served its purpose. Yeah, it right? fits so, their song exactly. But... <laughs> it's like I mean, it's like a, kind of like I don't know if really this is super objective, but like the the I've distortion tone at the beginning of revolution by the Beatles, like kind of shitty, but like yeah. intentionally so, and it works perfectly for the song. You know, it really gets your attention and it sits well kind of with everything else with Paul McCartney's super like dark, yeah. you know, uh, I don't know if he was using the Rick at that point or if he was still using the Hofner, but either way, both, both bases, he tended to have more darker tone on. Um, so, uh, yeah, anyway, so for me, I tend to lean towards single coils. I at some point would like to get a, another humbucking bass in my um, inventory, like maybe a um, like a hollow body, like Gibson or something, to kind of just have that option. Mm -hmm. But yeah, generally I tend towards uh, single coil, and and again, it's just a little snappier. Um, I find that my pedals respond better to single coil, and I don't know why. It could just be how I play. It could very well just be my my hand maybe. technique. Um, but whenever I use humbuckers, like, I feel like I have to like 
it's not that I have to work harder to get the right tone because like if anything they're louder like they output more volume so like it hits my pedals with more um sound <laughs> yeah with more oomph but I don't like it like it, yeah. it almost overdoes it and then I have to completely compensate on the whole board or on the bass amp and and I'd rather just be able to plug and play but then at the same time you know there's the caveat that I tend to be a fender guy like that vibe and it doesn't have to be a fender but I tend to lean in that direction um and I was not always that way like I used to actually um most of my basses in my earlier years were humbucking like Ibanez and Schecters and Spectres and stuff um and I was really into that for the for a long time but um I found that that the fender thing the single coil or split coil thing uh was better for recording um, and not that I'm like primarily a session studio guy, cause I'm really not like I'm, I'm very much more of a live performer. Um, but when I do sessions, like it's one of those things you hear it all the time on, you know, podcasts or on YouTube and bass players are talking about like, you know, anytime you go to a session, like you should definitely have a P bass. Like it doesn't have to be the bass you play, but you got to have one because chances are the engineer is going to say that is what we need to use. Um, and it was just, you know, one of those things I, I think it's um, a combination of just like what, you know, how music recording music developed because that was really the only available base for like the first five or six years of, of So it's what people bass. got used to, you think? Yeah. And I think, you know, gear started being designed with P basses and jazz basses in mind. Again, I can be totally wrong about this, but I just think that was kind of the part of the reason. Yeah. You know? I will say too, like for me, uh, one great example of why pickups matter, right? So if you guys have ever played like um, split coil guitars, mm. um, there is a big difference between a split coil humbucker sound and an actual single coil. Oh yeah. I can't really define exactly what it is. It's like I would say. have to like listen in really carefully and like really listen to how their EQ different, mm -hmm. but I can tell immediately if somebody has an actual strat or if they're just, um, split coil. Split coil. Yeah. And that is one thing that I really miss. Like, uh, recently, um, I played a gig and I, my PRS, which is usually my go-to just because I don't know, it's what I've gotten used to, mm -hmm. honestly. Um, and it just is pretty versatile. Yeah. Like I can kind of take it to most things and it works. Um, but it was out of commission. I was working on it. Um, and so I took a Strat to the gig. And mm -hmm. I don't know. It was just so much fun because I hadn't played yeah. a Strat in forever. Yeah. But then also, like, I, it just has its own thing. Like, yeah. I couldn't, you know, and it's mostly the pickups. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. Uh, that's the majority of the difference there. Mm -hmm. So pickups really do matter. Yeah, they do. Um, and not not just the style, but the brand. You know, you're going to find a big difference between an, an Aguilar P-Bass pickup and a Fender Seymour Duncan quarter pounder. Like they're yeah. just totally different vibes, you know. So um, I guess th this is probably the biggest debate mm. on the Internet. Oh, yeah. I know where you're going. <laughs> Do you? <laughs> yes. What is your opinion of tone wood? Okay. So I don't have a super strong opinion because... I just don't have as much knowledge on it. Well, wait, let's um, define what it is first. Okay. So yeah, yeah, yeah. let's do that. Yeah. Different woods have different tones. That's basically it. So like maple sounds different than mahogany, sounds different than walnut. Sounds right. Like that. I just wanted to put that out there. Okay, totally. Go. Totally. Yeah, yeah. So, and I think like generally hardwoods, like harder woods tend to have more 
sustain. They tend to be a little bit maybe brighter or have more attack in them. Again, these are just... I'm kind of regurgitating what other people have said. This isn't necessarily my my direct opinion. Um, I mean, I would agree with that. I think, uh, yeah. Well, I they're think... also just stronger. If you made a right. guitar out of balsa wood, you'd be as well. <laughs> you wouldn't so, put strings on it. Yeah, well, actually, it's interesting because <laughs> uh, on the SBL podcast, yet again, uh, they had an episode about tone woods, and one person did bring up this whole thing about a balsa wood base that they were commissioned to design, and they kept telling the person, like, this isn't going to work. It's going to be awful. Like, I don't want to do this. Yeah. Uh, and then they made it, and it turns out to be actually a fucking awesome base. Really? Yeah. It's not like great for everything. It must be pretty thick then, because I can break maybe. balsa wood with my bare hands. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's like not a plank of balsa wood. <laughs> like if we went to Michael's or like Home Depot, I yeah. don't know, and got some balsa wood, I could just like. It is not designed knee. for for uh, tension load for sure. No. Um, it dents with your fingernail. Right. Actually, with just your finger if you push it. If you push enough. it, yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> Um, that guitar is going to look like shit on the road though. <laughs> uh, and then there's other like softer woods, like, like rosewood or palfaro, um, which is more common than rosewood now just because of like laws and regulations. Um, anyway, so, um, in that episode they were uh, saying, you know, strings and in, in technique has the biggest effect and then maybe pickups. And then they felt like tone wood does have a, a, an effect. And again, this is where the debate comes in. Cause a lot of people say it doesn't mean anything. And then other people will say like, oh, it's huge. And then I feel like most people tend to say like, it's maybe 20, 15 to 20% of, of the tone you're getting. And again, it also depends on the type of instrument. For an electric instrument, it's very different than an acoustic instrument. For right? sure. That's where I was going to go. Mm -hmm, yeah. Because mm -hmm. um, you can actually hear the resonance on an acoustic instrument more. So it makes a huge difference. Yeah. Like a mahogany acoustic guitar, like a solid mahogany acoustic guitar, like mm -hmm. uh, Meg's, right? Uh -huh. She has a GS Taylor mini mahogany. Mm -hmm. Even though it's a little guitar, just the fact that it's made out of mahogany, it's darker. My mm -hmm. Koa Taylor, which is basically Hawaiian mahogany. It's yeah. kind of the same density, okay. right? A little bit different, but same idea. It's also darker mm -hmm. than a spruce top guitar. Right. Um. You know, as far as like back and sides versus top, I mean, it depends on who's listening. Yeah. If you're really critically listening, you can tell a difference mm -hmm. to the average person listening to the song. Probably not. Yeah. You know, yeah. is it going to really matter in a mix? Maybe it depends on who's listening. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, but yes, on acoustic instruments, it definitely matters more. Um, on electric instruments, I do think it matters. Mm -hmm. Okay. It does like, is it going to matter as much as the pickups? No. Yeah. Not really. Mm -hmm. Cause the pickups are where you're getting your sound. Right. Um, however, I will say, does it matter on the sustainability? And I mean that as in sustain, not like ecological yeah. <laughs> ecologically, ecological yeah, yeah, yeah. sustainability for sure. for sure and in making the guitar sustain more absolutely yeah i think the type of wood matters yeah um i, I really that. like mahogany mm -hmm. that's my favorite kind of wood okay for a guitar um, electric or acoustic yeah i think so because mm. i just really like like mahogany back and sides like a martin d18 Great sounding guitar. Mm -hmm. One of their lower level. Well, I say that now it's not. It was originally one of their lower level models. Now mm -hmm. they have cheap guitars, but, um, you know, just sounds great. It's just a solid guitar. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
And then, you know, uh, Les Paul's were made out of mahogany. Mm. PRS took that. Um, some, te- well, Fender does make like, there's a solid mahogany Telecaster that I've really wanted for oh. a long time, Uh-oh. but I can't afford it. It's a custom shop guitar, <laughs> oh, yeah, so yeah. I can't like $3, get it. Yeah. yeah. But amazing. Yeah. I love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love the way it looks. I love everything about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, so yeah, I really like mahogany, but you know, as far as like for Fender stuff, mm-hmm. right. A lot of their stuff when I was growing up was made out of ash. Yeah, that's still pretty popular. Is it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they use a lot of ash. Yeah. Um, I don't know why. I mean, it tends to be a heavier wood, I think. I think it's probably cheaper. It's probably cheaper. So, so yeah, because, like, one of the things <laughs> the they maple said... or something. Yeah, in, the, in, that, um, in that SBL episode was, like, you know, as much as people will say, like, tone wood matters or tone wood doesn't matter, it's, like, if you look at somebody like Leo Fender, like, he was just using what was available and cheap because he was trying to put out as many guitars as he could. Right. You know, so it was ash. It was probably pine. I don't know, like, some... I haven't, you know, that's funny. I haven't seen that many pine guitars. Yeah, right. You I mean, don't hear I've about seen it a them lot. like, like small makers use it, uh-huh. but like shit, like come to Georgia and like cut down some trees. <laughs> 90% of them are going to be pine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe it's too naughty. I don't know. Oh, I didn't think about that. That maybe. could be it. Yeah. I don't know. Um, too naughty. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, I didn't mean it that way. <laughs> <laughs> oh man do you remember like the 80 like 80s cabinets were naughty pine like in uh-uh. houses no, no, no. <laughs> like any house i've been to that has the original cabinets for oh, the most oh, part oh, they yeah, have yeah, like yeah. the knots all in the cabinet yeah. i always kind of liked that look to be yeah. honest like it was I just mean, it's probably it's a cool look yeah but that's probably why they don't use it yeah yeah that makes sense unless you're going for that right maybe but i think the knots are also like super hard wood Oh, like yeah, I think yeah, that's yeah, for what, sure. So I don't know how that would affect the tone. This is a great topic. Maybe yeah. <laughs> we should do a whole episode on tone, wood on tone and woods. Like, yeah, bring in one of those luthier friends of yeah, ours. Yeah, or just, yeah. Or we could do like a YouTube experiment where we mm. just put strings on a piece of pine. Thing. <laughs> 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 well, and so it is, right. So I think um, I've noticed... Because I only, most of my basses um, and guitars are all um, rosewood fingerboards. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just speaking on fingerboards now, not body or, or neck. Um, and I think I I tend to prefer that. Uh, and I didn't think I used to have a preference. Like uh, there was a time where I was like, man, I'd love to have maple. And now I have a couple maples. Uh, one of my P basses is a maple fretboard, the um, the one that I use with Hey Dreamer. And then my red jazz bass is a maple uh, fingerboard. And, um, I do notice a difference in how it feels, just like how it feels. It's like, also I mean, finished. That's the one thing, right? So it is finished. So yeah. that's something to consider. Uh, and I know that makes a difference, especially because like, I just, they, they feel snappier. They feel, um, well harder, you know, which makes sense again. I mean, it's different, you know, rosewood versus maple, but then you put the lacquer on or whatever finish right. on. Right, it's not quite so organic. Yeah, exactly. It feels a little more. You want to touch the wood? Yeah, I don't know, man. Like, but at the same time, right? It's like like the jazz bass. Uh, whoever owned it before me, um, sanded down the neck on the back, so it doesn't have that gloss finish on the back of the neck. But then my P bass does, and I know a lot of people that really hate gloss finish. Um, it's not a problem for me. Like a lot of people are like, oh, it slows me down. My fingers get caught on it. I'm like, 
you're just pressing too hard, dude. Like, yeah, <laughs> that's never be, been a problem for me. Yeah. Really. I mean, unless you're like, you know, unless it's like gross. Like mm-hmm, I have played mm-hmm. guitars in music stores that are like nasty. Oh and yeah. They feel gross. Yeah, when, but that's just like skin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's the skin that's it's slowing the, me down. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think I have seen a video on YouTube a while back uh, that was supposed to definitively end the Tonewood debate because it was like a metal guitar. Uh-huh. But when I say metal, it literally was like a rod mm-hmm. with little pieces of metal for frets down. Oh, it had no yeah. fingerboard, no body it was literally just a rod with a pickup on it and Mm -hmm. some frets Mm -hmm. and you know it didn't sound bad yeah honestly depending on what kind of you were going for but i don't think to me that really ends the debate no because i think you know honestly for me a lot of this comes down to just like personal preference yeah it really does yeah Uh, like if it matters to you how the wood sounds then like Choose choose yeah. what works for you. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. Um, but I do think tone wood does impact for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, in my opinion. Yeah. And you know, they do make a solid rosewood telecaster. Oh, I've seen those, yeah. It was like seven thousand dollars, but <laughs> yeah, rosewood is expensive now. If I just had almost ten grand laying around, <laughs> maybe buy it. We are accepting donations. <laughs> yeah. Help us in the Tonewood debate <laughs> today. <laughs> we'll start a GoFundMe. Yeah. Um anyway, really quick before we um have to wrap it up here. Mm-hmm. Speakers and amps obviously are gonna make a big impact yeah, on tone. Totally. There's totally. really not a whole lot, I don't think, to debate there. Um, yeah, I mean, and some people will still debate it, Sure, <laughs> you know, um, I mean, I will say, you know, like in my opinion, a very basic circuit with tubes on it, it's kind of uh, like a lot of brands sound basically the same. Yeah. In my opinion, mm-hmm. like a tube amp has a sound, you can affect the circuit and yeah. change things and make it sound pretty different. But like, if we're just talking like basic tubes, they kind of do a lot of them sound very similar. Yeah. Um, speakers do make a huge difference. Mm-hmm. I can definitely attest to that. I've changed speakers in amps before and it's made a huge difference. Have you ever uh, switched the one out on on your Albion? Mm-mm. Albion? No, I haven't. Mm-hmm. That was just like a, that was a cheap amp that I got one time. So I haven't done anything to it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but um, speakers and amps definitely make a difference. They, they do. Yeah. I mean, at least on the the so split them up into two categories. Start with with amps. Um, for me, it's funny because when I was um, when I was obviously first started playing, I was I was all solid state because it was cheaper. And um, eventually, I started moving into the hybrid uh, arena where um, like my first real like awesome bass amp uh, head was a SVT three Ampeg SVT three. Of course. Um, which is not the big SVT classic everyone thinks oh, of, okay. but it's 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 more similar to the Aguilar. It's like a oh. like a smaller, but but uh, it would fit. It would fill the whole rack space left to right, um, and it had a graphic EQ. It had like I don't know three or five, between three and to five uh, twelve AX seven preamp tubes. But then the uh, power amp was solid state. 
Um, and I used that for a long time. And then I switched to an SWR, which I hated. Uh, I don't know why I switched. And then um, eventually landed back into completely solid state with the, the Aguilar stuff. But um, I really like what whatever they do with their circuits. Yeah, um, Aguilar is incredible it's stuff. It's so good. Yeah, yeah. Um, their preamps, their everything. Yeah, because they, they started out as a studio preamp. Uh, thing before they moved into um, into like bass amplifiers. Uh, right. I used to think that I would want um, an SVT Classic Ampeg, um, but I mean, weight is going to be a huge part of that argument. That's a big thing, right? Because yeah. it's just not practical. Practical. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Why hurt um, yourself yeah. to play the gig? <laughs> You're going to get paid the fucking same. Exactly. <laughs> um, and and they tend two amps. Uh, you know. Uh, for those who don't know, are tend to be a lot more um, uh, labor intensive as far as like getting work done on them. You know, there's more parts to consider. Um, tubes eventually burn out, um, and that does have an effect on your tone. Uh, so they're just a lot more work. They tend to be more expensive as well um, and heavy. And yeah, there's just so much to them. I also, because of the tubes, you know, they, there's a lot more harmonic content that can come through which I think for guitar, I tend to prefer, but for bass, like I kind of want it a little bit more simple and like fast response. And then I can use pedals uh, and EQ to, to kind of affect that. But I just find that with tube amps, my bass tone, like I, like I said earlier, like I tend for most of rock stuff tend to have like a medium bright tone, not like super bright, but just enough to, to have some attack. On a tube right. amp, it just like skyrockets and it's way too much. And I find, you know, I find myself like taking the treble below uh, 50%. Well, it's um, a lot more of a physics conversation with yeah. tube amps. Yeah, it it's is. It's literally just the way that they work. Yeah. You know, there's <laughs> no fixing it or changing it. Right. It's just, it is what it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then with solid state, I just find them to be more versatile, easier to use, uh, obviously lighter. Um, so I tend to stick in that range. And then for, for speakers, um, again, more, more so for bass, uh, cause I'm more comfortable and, and have experimented more with that. I've had all kinds of configurations. I, uh, for a long time I played a 410 that was kind of a shitty cab, but it worked. Um, Do you have a preference of, I'm assuming like Celestian and stuff are still for bass or? I, yeah, they are. I think, I mean, I actually don't really have a speaker brand. Okay. Uh, cause it's usually like right. I, I, Aguilar. I mean, I don't yeah, know. Whatever yeah. they use is what I like. Probably um, their own. I don't know. Might be. I have no idea. I actually don't know either. We'd have um, to take it apart. Maybe we can do that in another episode. No, we're not taking that apart. <laughs> we can look online. I'm taking it apart. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so I used the 410 for a long time and then I got a, a 1510, which was really interesting. It was an Ampeg, uh, 15 inch speaker, 10 inch speaker and a little tweeter, I um, thought, or horn. I'm such an idiot. I was like, whoa, 15, 10, 10 inch, speakers. inch speakers. That would I'm be like, ridiculous. Where the fuck's yeah. that thing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I had that for a long time. Um, uh, 15s are awesome, but you kind of have to be at a certain distance to really hear what they sound like. And I just find they tend to be a little... Like they, they are pretty bassy, but they also tend to have like a lot of low mid range, like honk to them. That can be a little bit too much. Um, and then, uh, for a while, like right after high school, I used grad money to buy a used 810, um, which was awesome, but, uh, very impractical. I did because mm -hmm. it was impractical. Actually, I traded it for a 610. Oh. Um, and I used that for a long time and I actually honestly Minus would, two. I would love to actually have a 610 again someday. Cause I, I do like 
uh, the sound and just the look of them to me is right. so cool. Um, but it's not practical again for most of what I'm doing. Uh, so now I'm back to four tens. Um, and I just, there's plenty of low end. There's also a lot more mid range content in those that you can really dial in. Um, but, uh, yeah, two tens to me are a little bit too thin. And then I like twelves. I do have a pair of one twelves, um, that I'll use sometimes. They tend to be for me a little bit darker. They um, are. Yeah. Um, but not too dark, like a 15 and you can kind of get a better idea of the sound from less distance with a one twelve or two twelve than you can. 15. Can I give like a, and this is from somebody that's not a bass player. I feel like if the venue that you're playing has subs, mm -hmm. you really don't need a 15. Yeah, I agree. If you I agree. were, I mean, I guess it depends on what style you're playing, but that's just kind of my thing is like, if it's got subs that are going to push literally just the, the sub bass, yeah. <laughs> like you really don't need that frequency that, so much on stage. Yeah, I think so. I, I, although from what I've been told or what I've heard, um, technically you're actually getting more low end from a 410 than a 15 because of just, there's hmm. more speakers moving oh, well, air. Oh, yeah, that makes You know sense. what I mean? Sure. Um, but if you had a pair of like But we're 15s, talking tone. Yeah, right, right, for sure. Um, <laughs> stop. Sam. <laughs> um, but yeah, anyway, so that that's kind of where I'm at with, with like amps and cabs. Um, uh, also, one thing we didn't really mention, but just a side note, because I do think it's important, um, compression uh like i i tend to like a little bit of compression i don't like to overdo it um but some people really hate compression and other people like it. yeah other people can't play without it i i pretty much love it but i you know i pick and choose when i feel like it's necessary but i use a rack compressor so i basically i'm always on with it but it's running through the effects loop so it's more parallel than it is yeah. direct um but that's me what about you like do you have speaker on or like I mean, yeah, I, I really, for my own stuff, I do like tube amps for guitar, mm -hmm. um, just because they have like a, they have like a bite if you crank them up, mm -hmm. but I'm going to be honest, uh, in my experience, like getting a hundred watt tube amp is pointless mm -hmm. in this day and age. Cause yeah. like in order to get it to break up, you have to turn it up so loud and you just Unless you're in a studio and they're going to put it in an ISO booth, it's just not. Or like an arena gig or something. Yeah, it's just not very practical back yeah. to that. Um, but I do like tube amps. That's definitely part of my sound profile. Well, I say that. I have recently gotten into like modeling and stuff, mm -hmm. but it's all models of tube amps. Right. So I guess it's still technically tube amps. But well, and when we play live, you, you use the modeling pedal board with the actual tube amp. Right. So you're kind of getting the best of both worlds. Yeah. I don't use it as an amp modeler right. in Hey Dreamer. Yeah. I mostly use it as an effects board. Yeah. Um, but I will say like a lot of the gigs where I just go DI, mm -hmm. it is an excellent amp modeler yeah. and it's very versatile. I'll use it a lot in recording. Um, cause it's just easy. Yeah. I don't have to mic up an amp. Mm -hmm. I can get the tone exactly how I want it just from right there. Um, and so, you're using the Line 6 Helix, yes, by the way. Yes, and I definitely right. have embraced the technology mm -hmm. of modelers. Um, but I also have never owned a Kemper or an Axe FX, mm -hmm. uh, mostly because I'm broke. So <laughs> yeah, um, right. I'm not coming from like an expert modeling side either. I'm honestly for like the amps and effects and that kind of stuff, the gear side of it, I'm kind of more in the dark on that part of it. Mm. Um, not because I don't have like preferences, but yeah. just because I haven't actually owned and 
played that much of like a variety of things. Yeah. I've kind of just like gotten a couple things and still playing what I've bought, you know, yeah. which I guess is more just the poor musician side of it. Yeah, mostly. Yeah. yeah but also I, it works for you. Yeah. But I do have preferences. Um, you know, I, um, yeah, I would say for me, like a 35, 15 to 35 watt amp is usually where I stay. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of that's because of weight. Yeah. <laughs> um, but also volume. I like, like I said, the two breakup and you can only get that at a certain volume. Mm-hmm. Uh, really want to try one of the Supro Black Magics. Oh, yeah. Just to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it does have a lot of breakup. So it may mm-hmm. be too much for me, mm-hmm. but. But then again, you're kind of a Vox fan and those break up pretty it. easily. Yeah, that's true. So, so that's why I want to try it. Yeah. Um, as far as speakers, I really do like Celestian as a brand. Uh, I like Alnico speakers too. Um, don't necessarily have a preference on like the magnet size and all that kind of stuff so much. Um, but the amp that I have right now is a 112. Mm-hmm. Um, I like it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not going to say that it's bad. I have played some tens. Um, they were good too. Mm-hmm. Uh, it kind of just depends on what you're doing. Yeah. And at home, uh, I have a little Fender practice amp that has a 10. It honestly sounds great. Is that the Princeton thing? For the Fender. I have a Champ, too. Champ, that's, that's what a, it is. Yeah. yeah, that's a tiny. That's like, I don't even know if that's a 10. It may be. It's something tiny. Yeah. The whole <laughs> amp is maybe 10 inches. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's, you know, but that's a great example of if you crank that mm-hmm. all the way up, which it's like 10 watts. So right. it's easy to do. Um, you get that like uh, Rolling Stones. Um Steppenwolf, oh, that yeah. late 60s small amp kind of sound, mm-hmm. which is awesome. And maybe I'll use that one day. haven't found a use for it in my music yet, mm-hmm. but it is cool. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's kind of where I'm at. I just like tube amps. I like yeah. something I can carry. Um, honestly, we could probably do a whole video on like Fender versus Vox versus Marshall mm. and get more into it because those are the big three. Yeah. Um. Because I've honestly, in my experience, hope this doesn't piss anybody off. I really <laughs> wasn't super excited about like Marshall sounds mm. in uh, by themselves. Yeah. Uh, in mixes, they sound really, really good. They're mm-hmm. very bright. Yeah. Which you would they think do. that yeah. they're not, but mm-hmm. they they really are. Yeah. It's um, almost like compensating for humbuckers because a lot of I feel like a lot of people who used Marshalls at least back in the day, also tended to use like Les Pauls and SGs right. and stuff. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting debate on that. But yeah, speakers and amps definitely have a huge impact mm-hmm. as well. Um, and the room you're in makes a huge difference. Yeah. You know, like if you're in your bedroom and you're like, oh, I love the sound of this Fender Twin and then you take it out to a gig, like you may hate it. Like yeah. you really just don't know until you try it. It's um, true. Because the acoustics of the room just make such a big difference for sure. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's a hard, the speaker and amp thing is more of a hard debate. Yeah. Because there's so much that goes into it. Like mm-hmm. there's honestly like a thousand parts to that. Yeah. It could be how you mic it, could be the room, could be the EQ. Could and it's be... literally the last thing in your chain. Right. So like everything else that comes before that, again, the technique, the the strings, right. the pedals, the compression, the solid state versus, you know, 
it's like the speakers are like the last line of defense. Right. You know? Yeah. I mean, honestly, in my opinion, if you're a listener and you don't have a lot of money, you don't have a huge budget. Like us. <laughs> I feel like modeling is a really affordable way to at least kind of get an idea of what you like. Mm. Yeah. Um, you know, and you can play with so many of the variables and you can really find out like what your optimal tone is yeah. as far as amps and effects. Yeah. Um, cause it's just one unit. Yeah. It's still expensive, but I mean, it's the price of most one amp. Yeah. You know, one amps. I mean, some amps are cheaper like Vox. You can get those for like 500 bucks. Yeah. yeah five. I think 000. I got this one for 500. Yeah. So like that's affordable, yeah. but we're talking most amps. Yeah. They're very expensive. So try it. Why not? Yeah. If you hate Experiment. it, return it. <laughs> I mean, for those of you out there listening who may have like a uh, logic or garage band on your computer, uh, that's a great way to actually test it out because like a lot of the amps that are in there, the modeling amps that are in that um, software are modeled after Fenders, Voxes, Oranges, uh, Marshalls. So, you know, they're not going to sound exactly like it, but you're going to get pretty close, yeah. like close enough to know which direction you might lean in, right. you know, making yeah, the decision sure. a little bit easier. Yeah, so. it's a hard debate. Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Sex, Drugs, and Disappointment. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to leave us a review and connect with us more on Instagram and TikTok at SDD Podcast. Each episode is also available on in video format on YouTube. And don't forget... Have fun. Don't do too much. And it's going to happen. Don't do it. <gasps> don't do it. <laughs> <laughs>